Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversations with Mark Becker, podcast produced by Georgia State University. You can find this episode wherever you listen to podcasts. In this and future weekly podcasts, I sit down with researchers and experts who can give us valuable and important information about the coronavirus pandemic. I hope you will find these conversations stimulating and thought-provoking, and if you do, please subscribe so that you will not miss future episodes. Again, I'm your host, Georgia State President Mark Becker, and today my guest is Rajiv Dewan, the Carls Warner Chair of Economic Forecasting and the Director of the Economic Forecasting Center in Georgia State's J. Mack Robinson College of Business. Good afternoon and welcome, Dr. Dewan. Thank you, President Becker, for having me. It's my privilege. Well, it's great to have you here. I know a lot of people want to know the future of the economy, and I'm sure you have all the answers. Uh, but let, let, let's start off with just getting a sense of the, the time we're in. We've seen uh, sudden and massive job loss, economic deceleration. You know, in a historical context, have we ever seen anything like this before? We have seen components of it. So this is like the Great Recession 2008 and 9 compressed into a month and a half with an elements of post 9-11 and also the credit constraints of the early 80s when car sales and the home sales tanked in by 50 percent in the span of a few months. Well, that's uh, quite a bit of quite a bit of combination. I, th I thought I saw the McKinsey report some months ago that suggested that we might see a economic um, de decline or deceleration rivaling the Second World War. Do you do you think it's at all comparable back that far back? It could even be worse depending upon which time frame you look at. And I think looking at month to month changes, especially in the last six weeks can give you the wrong idea because it was a forced shutdown. Now things are beginning to open up gradually, and that's the best thing that's happening in that sense. Certainly, and it's, you know, the job losses are a big news item. Today was, you know, the weekly job announcement. I think we're at about 33.5 million jobs in seven weeks. You know, it's McKinsey recently reported uh, that uh, for every job loss, another two jobs may be vulnerable. And I think for the state of Georgia, they had that up to 40% of the population could be at risk of losing a job. What are we to make of these jobless data and you know, the, the idea of uh, these massive numbers of jobless week to week, at least, in, as you say, in a compressed period, um, and where it could go? How, how, do we, how should we be thinking about that? Because it's off the charts of what we saw in 08, 09 over that, that such a tight period. Yeah, these job losses are what we call the gross job losses because some people are furloughed for a few weeks and then they're brought back. So one has to look at the continuing claims, which at this point are running 18 million plus nationally. So the gross number is 33, but the continuing is close to 20. So that tells you that about 15 to 18% of the workforce is guaranteed sitting idle. Yeah, and I think when I, when I saw the data, I think Georgia in terms of unemployment claims filed was sixth in the country and sort of makes sense given that it seems to have hit the retail sector and the hospitality sectors particularly hard. Is, does that make sense to you? Yes, because we are a big, you know, hospitality arena with, you know, we have this convention center, we have the biggest airline, we have the hotels, we have the restaurant business. People come over here as a destination for shopping and other stuff. So. If you want to look at how bad it is, look at Hawaii and Nevada, which actually have even a higher proportion of their industries towards hospitality, and they are also suffering a lot more. 
Well, yeah, in that McKinsey report I referenced, Hawaii, I think over half over half of the labor force is at risk that is they're projecting. Right. And the other thing is that what we call in economics is this is what we call the direct impact job layoffs in hospitality and retail. Then it's the second round effect, the multiplier effect, where it starts going into the other arenas where you don't expect it to go initially. For example, who would have thought that doctors and dentists and other people will be out of work? That has never happened in the previous recession. Yes, the incomes go down, but they're not laid off. And people don't realize that doctors these days are like hourly workers. If they don't go to the hospital for doing the operations and checking the patients, they don't get paid. So this kind of a new things are happening this time. Oh yeah, well the other is just the, the entire healthcare sector. Hospitals are struggling. You would, you would say, you know, we're in a pandemic, hospitals should be doing great, but the reality is elective surgeries are way down. And so a lot of what are called the service lines that create the revenues that allow the hospitals to continue to operate and serve indigent patients and, and um, non-paying patients, uh, those service lines aren't operating. So the, actually the healthcare system is taking a beating, if you will, at the same time that it's trying to maintain its ICU capacity to deal with COVID-19 patients. Right, this is one facet of this COVID-19 that industries and arenas, which were immune to downturns, are beginning to see it. And hopefully they will come out of it soon, but that depends upon how it progresses, you know. So at this point, would you see any sector that's immune to, a, to this downturn? Well, when it first started, the shares of Netflix were going down. And I was saying, why are they going down? People will be sitting at home and watching movies. And now they're beginning to go up. So if you can provide a service without human to human contact, that's what's going to gain in this setup. And of course, cleaning stuff, Clorox and cleaning stuff. Well, that and it uh, seems that the lawn care business seems to be still in business. There's pl plenty of um, that going on. Well, it is a contact, humanless contact business. The owner and the gardener don't interact on a daily basis. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, looking at this from a state perspective, you know, so we've talked about healthcare, we talk about businesses. But it seems to me that the, the states and uh, you know, any agency that's collecting tax revenue is, or particularly states getting hit with what I'll call the triple whammy. Um, sales taxes not happening because people aren't spending. Um, income tax, business tax not being collected because there's fewer, or there's less being collected because there's fewer people being paid with all the layoffs. And then on top of that, the payouts from unemployment through the roof, you know, it's a question of how long, you know, how much the state will need to replenish be able to pay for the unemployment claims filed. You know, how, how, does a, how does a state like Georgia, because you know, we, the state has to have a balanced budget. The state cannot spend more money than it collects from those revenue sources. What's gonna happen? Well, we saw a little bit of a preview in the last recession when we had to do layoffs and cutbacks, both at the state and the dependent agencies level. But we will also might have to kind of like raise taxes down the road. But currently right now, we have to look at the numbers in a sense like we have to look behind the numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, as I call, models are as good as the data you feed them into it. For example, in the sales tax, the number reported for April is actually the collections for March. And we know that in March for about a week, there was a complete shutdown of activity, especially in Atlanta area, which is the big contributor. And it shows up in the numbers as a 14% drop in sales tax. But on the income tax, which was for April, 
it's a little bit overinflated, I would say, because we were told by the federal government, you don't have to file your taxes till July 15th. So anybody who owed the taxes without any penalty can postpone it till July. So in the drop in the income taxes was number of returns filed fell by 90% compared to the year before. And April is a big month for tax returns. So the money will come back by July, but there's gonna be a timing issue and plus the loss of income issue going forward. Well, it's a huge timing issue because Georgia runs on a July one fiscal year and if people don't have to file their taxes till the middle of July, in some sense, the state's collecting revenue for a year in which it's already spent the money and it's in another year. Right. So hopefully there might be some kind of a help coming in from Washington, D.C., but given the politics that's going on over there, I would say my feeling is that the help will come. Mm -hmm. But will it come in time is another issue, as you talked about the timing. You need the money now, not six months from now. Yeah, and certainly what we're hearing out of Washington is the House and the Senate, perhaps something late May, early June, that timing would be okay if that were to happen with a fourth stimulus package, if it were to provide uh, what I'll call bridging funds to states, because you know eventually the economy needs to come back. The states can't stay down. Yes, for the unemployment insurance funds, there's already a program and states borrow from there. So that's not the big issue. The issue would be how to make the payments for Medicare, Medicaid, and other stuff for which you need hard cash in this healthcare crisis. So maybe the federal government can solve the state problems by doing another stimulus cares 4.0 my, my other thing i worry about is when you go down to the local level the city level the county level how would they get the money because their their tax base is sales tax and property taxes and property taxes people will pay but that only comes in october but the sales tax is every month and that is where the shutdown in activity really impacts them. That's a cash flow problem. Yes. Well, yeah. and that's, if the federal relief comes, and you know, if we if we see a stim fourth stimulus package that is on the order of a half billion dollars or more, I mean, half trillion dollars or more, we're looking at three trillion or more uh, new dollars in federal debt. Uh, you know, how does the government pay that off? Is it is do, or should we anticipate inflation? as a way, because that is a tool for, if you will, growing revenues, or should we anticipate higher taxes, or do we have no idea of what, how, how we'll pay that off? Well, let's start with the genesis of inflation. Inflation is always a monetary phenomena where too much money is chasing too few goods, okay? Now, if you had done these kind of deficits at the top of the business cycle, say last year or something, definitely inflation would be around the corner because I have the money I will want to go out and spend. But right now, even if you give me the money, am I going out and spending it? That's number one. But the number two thing is that this is like borrowing on your credit line with the bank. You need the money now to survive so there could be a future. So I'm not against getting some more money. But yes, once we recover, if you keep on spending like that, then there would be a problem. The second thing is, do we have the funds to fund it? So right now, the households are not spending collectively in the economy. So they have the funds, which is about pension funds and other things. Businesses have cut back on the capital spending, so that funds are also lying unused. And then we have the Federal Reserve coming out and buying the treasuries and the mortgage-backed securities. So we have three sources of funds which can mop up this supply of bonds. But the 
issue would be going forward, the rest of the world that used to supply us the funds does not have the money because they're also shut down. So you can do these you know, deficits for short time, but you cannot do it forever. So do you see um, the global comeback being differentiated by region? Do you see Asia, say US and Europe, being on similar reopening and recovery cycles, or do you see disparities, or is it too soon to know? Unfortunately, when it comes to international travel between, say, Asia and Europe and Europe and U.S., it doesn't look like anybody is in a mood to immediately open up their skies. Looking at the, you know, what's happening in Australia and New Zealand, they're sending out the messages, we don't want to open. I give you a bad indicator. India just a few days ago announced that they're going to do an airlift of quarter million people out of Middle East and Europe back to India. Why would you spend money when you don't have it, poor country, to get your people out? You only do that when you feel it's going to be three, six months before the international travel opens. You know, so that was a bad indicator this week. Uh, the other thing I would look at is how much does the domestic travel open up? So, for example, Look at the TSA checkpoint crossings, which were down 95% three weeks ago. If you're a person guy like a glass is half full, you can say it's down to 94%, so it's improving. But no, we, we need the, to me, a good indicator of how much the economy is coming back is to look at that traffic going through the checkpoints. And that will tell me whether the businesses are willing to fly out. Because initially, only one who's flying is who has to for some reason. You know, so things like that will have, for that we need healthcare solutions. We need therapeutic solutions, you know, not just the vaccine for us to come out to play. And that's why I was saying, May is the month when the news has to come out good on this front so that we can start planning four to five months down the road. So, you know, you mentioned indicators and going from 95 to 94% is a, let's say, suggest modest, if not statistically insignificant change. Uh, but the stock market, you know, plunged suddenly back in March and has come back you know, fairly strongly. You, you might call it a rally. Uh, of course, as you know, markets go up and down. Uh, do, you think, do you think the market is pricing in good health news? You know, that, that sort of news that you're saying that we need, do you, do you think that's where their optimism is? That is what is kept them, it's pulled them off that bottom that we saw from the sell-off? Well, markets usually get very excited or very depressed very quickly, and they tend to overreact. That's what we know from looking at the past. But I'm going to look at what Warren Buffett said and did, you know, at his annual meeting. He says, look, I believe in America. I'm going to invest over here, but I'm going to sell everything in the airlines because I'm not in the business of providing funds. I want returns. So again, it will become how does the news develop over the next few months? If the news comes out very positive, then stock market's optimism would be justified. But remember, if people forget it, between October, late October 2008 and early January 2009, which was about six weeks, the market did a 25% rally, bigger than the rally we have seen right now. And then you know what happened between January and March of 2009. So it all depends upon how the news comes out. And the news this time will have to be on the healthcare side. I think early 
April, we were all shell-shocked when we started realizing the magnitude of the economic downturn. Right now, somebody says to me that the economy will be down 30% on a quarterly basis this quarter. Ah, it's not too bad. But when I thought about it a month ago, for me to even do a number above 10%, which was the biggest number we have seen, was in 1958, first quarter, it was a tough call. The fingers are not moving on the keyboard to produce that. And now to produce a 35% drop is easy. So, you know, when you mentioned to, that late 2008, early 2009 rally, it immediately takes me back to the banking sector, of course, in, in, that, in 2008, 2009, the financial services sector. And we saw Bank of America go down to about $1.50 a share, roughly, you know, which is almost zero. Didn't get, the, didn't get far below that, but went down way low. You know, right now, the oil sector is completely beat up. The airlines completely beat up. You know, hotels uh, completely beat up. Uh, real estate investment trusts, particularly in shopping centers and malls and the like. Um, as you look out, do you see a differentiated return in the economy? Sort of, you know, you, you talked about TSA being your sort of your indicator. Is, is, is travel going to be the last thing that we're over, that, you know, that we're, out of this, or is it um, modulated through a series of industries sort of, sort of coming back in, one after the other? I will put it this way. If you are willing to travel, either for business or leisure, you're going to demand hotel room, you're going to demand Airbnb, you're going to demand Uber Lyft, you're going to demand restaurant food, you're going to demand everything apart from the airline ticket. And remember, these are the sectors that are getting beat up. Uber and Lyft just laid off 15% of their workforce, even though they're technology companies, right? Yep. But on the other hand, there's going to be NASDAQ is not down for the year. Right. So people are basically, it's showing that technology is going, technology-related companies that require the least amount of human interaction are the ones who are going to come out quickly. And then comes in the other traditional ones, and the issue is how much of the traditional one will come back? And the answer over there is, unfortunately, it's not going to go back to the old number immediately, unless and until a miracle happens and we have the perfect therapeutic by September. What I mean is that when you get the flu, you only have a one person chance of getting hospitalized and the other issues. And this one is 20%. Right. If there is a medicine that reduces my 20% to 1%, I'm willing to go out and interact with people. Well, you invoked Warren Buffett. I don't think he invests based on hoping for miracles. He, well, I've been listening to him for 20 plus years, and there's a reason he's a billionaire, and I'm still working for the income, right? Raji, this, this has been fascinating, and um, you know, it's really appreciate you coming on. And, uh, My pleasure. Podcast, and thank you for your insights. You know, your the depth of your experience and. The, the fact that you've seen so many different sort of what I'll call economic environments and, and understand how these economic sectors work together to create an economy is extremely valuable. So thank you so much. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you. Well, this has been Conversations with Mark Becker, a podcast produced by Georgia State University. You've been listening to a conversation with Professor Rajiv Dewan in the Robin, J. Mack Robinson College of Business. To hear future conversations on the front lines addressing the coronavirus, You'll find conversations with Mark Becker wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and remember to subscribe so that you will not miss future episodes. Goodbye for this week.